Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. What is going on? How are you? Long time no speak. You're listening to the Market Pulse podcast. My name is Dion and it has been a minute. Uh, more precisely, it's been about three months. Uh, so I have a, I guess I have a little bit of an explanation, but um, I'll just quickly say at the top what this podcast is going to be about. And we're going to talk about, I guess, some of the top stories that really made up 2021. Considering that we're into a new year now, I just thought it might be good to recap some three major themes uh, at a macro level uh, that really drove 2021. And that is uh, this talk about the Great Resignation. Uh, and the other one, of course, is inflation, which we did spend a f- bit of time talking about throughout the year. Uh, we didn't really ever speak about the, this term coined the Great Resignation, but uh, inflation has certainly been on our minds from an investing point of view. But first, an explanation. Well, so back in around October, well, whenever I released the last episode of this podcast, I had a computer issue almost immediately after. And remember how I did an episode talking about well, many episodes really talking about supply chain issues and you know various uh, ways it has impacted. One of them being uh, CPU chips, which go in cars and going almost everything, anything that's electronic these days. Uh, that's what went wrong in my computer, and unfortunately, I was a victim, a horrific victim, of the current supply chain issues that the globe is facing. And I had to source a CPU, and it took a long time. Um, and look, I thought about sort of doing a, you know, putting, piecing together an episode or two on my phone or something like that. In the end, of course, I, I didn't do that. Uh, it wasn't really what I felt comfortable doing. And also, I decided to give myself a little bit of a break. And because of that, also to sort of reevaluate where I'm sitting with the podcast and because it's something that I'm very passionate about doing and I still want to do, but it also, I have to be realistic with uh, the time it takes out of the other things in my life. And so moving forward, uh, this is not going to be a podcast that's on some particular schedule. So be that weekly or, or fortnightly or something. And and really, I'm going to try and tackle really interesting topics, um, especially topics that are sort of taking or picking up in the mainstream that might not ordinary pick up in the, ordinarily rather pick up in the mainstream. You know, some of the best uh, podcasts that I've enjoyed doing in terms of the research that have gone into it, but also the feedback that I've gotten from people were those more longer form episodes where I spoke about, for example, the, the Wall Street Bet saga with GameStop. Um, I did an episode on NFTs that Evergreen one just before, which wasn't just about Evergreen, but I also I spoke about Evergreen. Uh, those are not just received very well, but I enjoy the process of going in and trying to understand something myself before I start trying to pretend that I know what I'm talking about. And so that's kind of the direction that I think makes sense to me. So don't, I guess what I'm saying is don't think of this anymore as a you know, it was a weekly or or a fortnightly on a specific day that's going to drop, and and perhaps that might frustrate you. But it's I need to sort of make sure that it works for myself too, and I don't burn out. 
So because of that, I'm not going to look at the market on a week-by-week basis, which kind of makes sense to me as well because I don't really look at the market on a week-by-week basis. I mean, I think think if you're investing, you shouldn't be really like, oh my God, what's it doing week in, week out? But I will sort of look at it when I do these episodes from the year to date so far. So maybe do a little bit of a, a look back on how it's been performing for the year. And we're only fresh into a new year, so we're only uh, 23 days as I'm recording this. Uh, But we'll look at the major indices and how they are performing. And I'll start, of course, with the ASX 200. And as you can imagine, and you might be aware, especially if you're invested at the moment, markets are down kind of everywhere. But the ASX 200 is down just under 6% for the year so far. The S&P 500 over in the US down 8.31% and the NASDAQ down 13%. So that's a look at markets, but I don't want to delay any further. And let's jump straight into the two big topics that I've picked to talk about for this podcast. And that first is uh, the Great Resignation, and then we'll talk about inflation after that. So let's start with the Great Resignation, probably a term you have seen or heard before, especially over the course of 2021. And perhaps it's best to at least define what this phrase is referring to the phenomenon that it is defining. So the Great Resignation, I've seen a few other names for it. I think I saw someone say the big quit. Uh, but but it effectively refers to this period of increasingly high and sustained high rate of people in the workforce quitting their jobs and resigning. And I'll note, because I'm Australian and this podcast mostly has always centered around Australian market and economic use, although not always, but most of the time, um, this phrase, the great resignation, is really referring to what is an American phenomenon of job quitting and not so much in Australia, although we'll touch on Australia at the end of this segment in terms of whether our labor data shows uh, there are similar things happening. But for now, just so you know, the focus of this will be the United States. So keep that in mind when I'm talking about figures and numbers. So quitting. Let's talk about the numbers first. The US Bureau of Labor Statistics released a number of metrics for this, namely the total of job quits in a monthly period, uh, but also the rate of job quits relative to the workforce. Now, the most recent data is actually for November 2021, and that was only released uh, in the last couple of weeks. In November 2021, the latest monthly data we have, a total of 4.5 million people in the US up and left their jobs. And if you want a percentage, that is 3% of the entire working population quitting their job in a 30-day period, which is pretty astounding, I think. However, it's not called the great resignation because of a single month of statistics. It's been an upward trend of quits across 2021 that has given uh, this trend the name. In January 2021, you're sitting about 3.3 million people quitting their jobs in a month. By March, that was 3.5, 3.8 in June, 4.2 in August. And of course, the, the latest figure there in November, 4.5 million uh, is the highest it's, it's ever been. And when you look at the rate to get an idea of the figure relative to the workforce population, you can see that it has crept up very slowly to to basically being about 2 to 2.4% of the workforce quitting in a single month uh, in between 2016 and 2020. And then it significantly drops at the start of 2020 
which is exacerbated by a rise in the unemployment rate itself. Uh, but when you basically enter 2021, it spiked very significantly and has continued to climb throughout the year with no sign of stopping, uh, especially as we enter uh, into 2022. And for perspective, I'm, I'm looking back at the job quit rate to around the year 2000. It has never been uh, this high in that 20-year period ever. In fact, during the Great Recession, so that sort of period of uh, 2008, 2009, following the financial crisis, the job quit rate actually fell dramatically, uh, but then stalled for a while and, and sluggishly trended upwards only after 2013 or so. And, and here... We had the initial fall in the quit rate with the economic shock in the first half-ish of 2020, but then there has been no stall after that. That quit rate has spiked to the highest level in the last few decades. Now, you can imagine why that quit rate was so low during the Great Recession. Of course, again, exacerbated by the fact that there's also higher unemployment, so there's people losing their job, which doesn't count. It's not the same as um, someone quitting their job. Uh, but also people would have been quite terrified at the idea of quitting their job during such a period. Uh, whereas we're not really in that kind of time right now. And we'll, we'll get into that a little bit further um, when we talk about uh, just how tight the labor market is at the moment. And if you dig deep into the actual numbers, you can see that this isn't a res resignation across the board. This is very much a product of specific industries. Um, a lot of lower paid or, or frontline industries really are the, are the ones that are highlighted here. Uh, a tweet from someone I recommend that you follow if you're a user of Twitter is Heather Long. She's with the Washington Post. She's great. She is just she's just good at articulating economic information for dummies like myself. So she's this is on the 5th of Jan. She's saying a record 4.5 million people quit their jobs in November. New records set for quits in these key industries. She names hotels and restaurants, healthcare, transportation and warehousing and she goes a little bit further in her thread uh, she says uh, to me this is the most alarming chart from the great resignation skyrocketing quits in healthcare uh, doctors nurses aides and more are burned out and we're still in a pandemic uh, so healthcare quit rate so back in march 2021 it's sitting about 2.3 percent and then 2.5 and then by july it's 2.7 september 2.8 and then in november uh, healthcare just itself, that industry alone was 3%. And the healthcare stats are quite interesting in that even in normal times, so go back to you know, not what we thought were normal times before all this happened, workers in industries such as travel, for example, say hotel or resort workers or people that worked in like a restaurant or a cafe, those types of workers and industries, to be fair, tend to have a higher skewed turnover just due to the nature of that role. Uh, but not traditionally in industries like healthcare, which is experiencing this huge spike in uh, monthly quits. And although they're different jobs, well, let's think about what these jobs have in common because what seems to be quite clear is that this is happening in you know, industries and professions and jobs that have had, for uh, use of a better word, a shit roll of the dice since the pandemic began. And we're talking about frontline workers, customer service workers, workers who are most likely exposed uh, from a health risk point of view to the virus um, and not even just the health risk of the virus itself, but just you know, angry, irate, impatient uh, customers and consumers, 
and you know not just healthcare workers like nurses but also people who work in there just supermarkets fast food the kind of jobs where you can expect there to be very understandably a fair bit of fatigue and burnout given what the last two years has thrown at them and and on top of what the last two years has thrown at them there's just the fact that they're staring down um, a problem that's not been fixed or solved yet so they face global supply chain problems that impact their day-to-day business as usual work Um, but there's also a new variant running around of COVID so not even that's over. Now there's also to be fair also a bit of pushback against the idea that this is as big as a phenomenon as the headlines make it out to be and for example that quit data that I am referencing before and remember how I said how I I went back and it shows that it's the highest that it's been, uh, the highest rate that it's been in 20 years. Well, part of the reason for that is we can't technically compare it for much uh, older than that. Um, it's not; it's like a relatively new measure in only in the last few decades. So we can't actually go and compare the rate to, say, a period like the Great Depression or post-World War II, uh, the dot-com bust sort of in the late 90s, um, and get kind of get a sense of the historical relevance of this period that we're in right now. And that's pretty important, and that's a, f- a fairly good point to make. However, in my view, there's, a, there's probably a couple points that I feel are missing from much of the discussion around the US labor market, uh, regardless of your feelings towards the Great Resignation being super significant or not. So firstly... The points that I feel are missing, the participation rate in the US, so that's the percentage of the working age population that's either employed or seeking employment, that participation rate has not recovered to what it was prior to the pandemic. So whilst the White House might get up and tout a recovering unemployment rate or the, or say, job creations per month, the fact is, well, firstly, politicians can be relatively disingenuous about the specific Uh, data that they'll cherry pick that makes them look good versus other politicians but the fact of the matter is that because of COVID so that that participation rate not having recovered there's somewhere between two to three million Americans who were working and were of the working age and part of that population and just stopped when COVID happened and have not come back. The other element to the great resignation that has specifically caught my attention in the last few months especially and at a I think at a mainstream media level not getting almost any attention is the wave of labor rights movements across the United States so strikes new collective bargaining pushes a lot of this is helped by the fact that employees have this is this is the point where they have a lot of leverage right now given the shortage of skilled workers in many industries Uh, that many industries and businesses are facing. So a few significant labor actions over the past few months you might have heard about. So there's John Deere workers in the US, about 10,000 shooting down um, updated contract negotiations that their union had put forward. Um, Big uh, nurses groups uh, going on strike, Kellogg's employees. And another one was uh, Starbucks. So there's a, a Starbucks store in New York that unionized at the end of last year and then that suddenly caused a wave of other Starbucks stores. I think it's up to about 30 now that are all filing for unionization 
and again, this goes back to the leverage. And, and if you notice also the type of employee uh, employee industries that I'm talking about, that's you know frontline, some healthcare, manufacturing, the, the kind of jobs that are also seeing high quit rate. And if you go and actually listen to why these people are doing what they're doing, so why they're pushing back on their employers, it's a lot of it's to do with how they felt uh, during the pandemic, uh, say lack of support from uh, their health and well-being point of view. Um, the the John Deere workers specifically pointed out how, from a financial point of view, how well the company had been doing, but how that had not uh, been reflected in the actual workers' remuneration. So yeah, that's some of the stuff that I think is is missing from the actual talk around the broader theme of this great resignation. But is it overhyped? Look, certainly in Australia, it's not being seen to the extent that the US has experienced. However, certainly what is being experienced in Australia is a much tighter labour market, which again gives power to the people in terms of that ability to negotiate remuneration, jump to new jobs if there's a better offering at another company. Also, the idea is that this should put upwards pressure on wage growth in Australia, which is something that has been absent for a very long time here. And Australia at the moment, though, also has an unemployment rate at its lowest point in 13 years, which is a bit different to the story in the US. It's, so in Australia, it's currently at 4.2%. And the last time it was at this number was just prior to the GFC. But the great resignation being overhyped at a global level, I don't think it's overhyped at all. I, I say that because what's become clear over the past two years is COVID kind of changed everything. And when we talk about the great resignation, the themes that make up this shift have been amplified by the impacts of the pandemic, you know, people reevaluating their careers or jobs, especially those people who worked on the front line during the pandemic, people reevaluating re what their priorities in life are, whether they want to go back to school and, and study something, or whether they want to go spend more time with the family, workers using leverage from this labor market to jump to better paying jobs. Uh, workers requesting more flexibility from their employers in the in terms of the way that they work, um, demanding their share of the benefits that were gained by some of the com companies who benefited from the pandemic, um, like that John Deere example. All of this forms part of the story about the Great Resignation. Uh, COVID changed really everything, and many people are seeing work through a little bit of a different lens right now. Okay, that was a look at the great resignation, but now we're going to jump over and talk about another big macro theme that made up the year of 2021, and that was the return of inflation. You know, inflation is something that I personally underestimated over the past year, and you'll know that if you're a frequent listener. I think certainly something I underestimated was the impact of the supply chains and shipping and how long, well, mainly, mainly how long it would take to iron out those issues, which are not ironed out at all right now. And I remember like reading about all this in the last year or so uh, brought me back to this subject that I remember studying when I studied business, which was specifically focused on supply chains, but I'm pretty sure it was a first year subject. So it wasn't you know, at, at much of a high level, but um, specifically it talked about, you know, globalization and the use of what's referred to as just-in-time supply chains. Uh, just-in-time refers to 
basically a supply chain and inventory system where, as the name suggests, supplies for a product or products for sale, or if you're a manufacturer, so the inputs you need to make your good uh, for sale, um, they arrive just in time to the warehouse or to the, where inventory is being stored to meet the demand when it's needed exactly. So I guess with that demand uh, needing to be observed very closely to make sure that what you have arriving just in time uh, is the correct amount to meet it. Um, the problem with just in time, as we've discovered, uh, say as efficient and cost saving as it is for businesses during a very normal period of time, where maybe at most they just have to adjust for seasonal fluctuations, you know, such as a Christmas time, people buying more toys, like a toy manufacturer thinking about that. You know, when a pandemic hits and the norms fly out the window, the supply chain just is not built with the required capacity or slack to meet the demand at the moment, hence why it became extremely difficult to get things like a mask or hand sanitizer, which are very small examples but there just wasn't the ability to quickly meet a huge and unexpected and never before seen spike in demand for those particular items. Now, first, let's just quickly note where inflation sits uh, in some of the major economies of the world before we get uh, a little lost on the driving forces behind it. So in Australia, we have seen inflation pick up, uh, but not as much as other parts of the world. So the latest data here in Australia is that inflation the annual inflation rate is sitting at 3%. Uh, some big drivers coming from fuel prices. Another interesting factor is rental prices, which is uh, something I first noticed anecdotally when my landlord last year wanted to uh, up the rent. And then I started noticing that my friends were talking about the same thing that was happening to them. According to the latest ABS data, rental price increases are mostly actually being seen in cities other than Sydney or Melbourne, so increases being felt in uh, cities like Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Hobart, Darwin especially. Now, if we jump to the United States, the inflation question is a much bigger issue uh, amongst, well, it's become, uh, it's one of the driving issues at the moment, it's, and it's likely one of the big political issues of the, mo of the moment. If we jump to the United States, the inflation question is a much bigger issue and problem their consumer price index, their inflation is up 7% annually. The last time it was seen at these kind of levels was 1982. The latest data with that 7% reading was actually only the other week on the 12th of January. And in the US, you're seeing big spikes on fuel, uh, big spikes in utility prices, like for, say for gas, um, cars, so used cars, rental cars, things like uh, meat products like steak, beef, bacon, they're up. Uh, around a 20% on an annual basis as of that last reading. And in the UK, as of just re uh, recently, just was reading, uh, it's at 5.4% in December, which is also the highest annual rate the UK has seen since 1992. So uh, I was pointing out to a, a Reuters article here that specifically highlights food, hospitality, and fuel prices being big factors in pushing that inflation seen in the UK. Now, you might have noticed just then that one of the inflation drivers or rather something that's making up uh, inflation across those countries that I just mentioned, so Australia, the United States, uh, the United Kingdom is the price of fuel. So when we go to fill up our car at the pump, uh, that's obviously driven, of course, by global oil prices 
And if you look at the benchmarks, so like the WTI crude and the Brent crude oil prices, they're at levels higher than they've been over the last, well, pretty much since like 2017. And that's obviously filtering back to the price that we're paying to fill our cars up. And that's just one example that's helping, well, not not in a good way. <laughs> that's one that's that's one example of something that's pushing inflation. Now, talking about driving forces behind inflation, and I'm taking a very US focused on this, uh, one interesting person that I've listened to and uh, read from recently is uh, Christopher Mims. He's actually a writer for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, he wrote quite an interesting book. It was also extremely well-timed given what we're talking about, uh, about supply chains called Arriving Today. And I was listening to him on a recent podcast. And he was talking about uh, one of the points raised earlier regarding the way the supply chain was set up and how it just wasn't built for the huge buying spree that went on online uh, that the world started to embark on once the pandemic hit. Uh, an example statistic he cites in the US is that uh, before the pandemic, online groceries made up 2% of all groceries spend uh, in the United States. And that's now at 10%, uh, which he says like it doesn't sound like it's much because it's only 10%, but it's a five-fold increase on what it was prior to the pandemic. So across such a, a short period of time, and it's drivers like that, so it's just one driver, so it's just groceries. There's things like that that put a huge strain on a supply chain that, like we said before, it was just not built with the necessary resiliency and slack for a huge uptick in online purchasing uh, that we've all engaged in. Another good indicator to demonstrate uh, the problem that the supply chain's having and, and kind of how that filters back to the overall inflation talking point uh, so is the so you can look at the actual standard price of a 40 foot container that goes from say between Asia and the US so say from China to the US uh, just noting here in a Bloomberg article by Lauren Etter and Brendan Murray just a few days ago on January 18 so there's a quote the spot rate for a 40 foot container uh, to the US from Asia a top $20,000 in 2021 so that's how much that's a spot rate for what it's costing to to use a 40-foot container to get some stuff from China to the US. So $20,000 in 2021, up from less than $2,000 just a few years ago. Uh, and it was recently, more recently, hovering around $14,000 in January. And they go on to say winners from this uh, are global ocean freight carrier businesses, they pulled in an estimate $150 billion in profit in 2021, which is a nine-fold annual jump. Uh, there's a Danish entity, um, Moller Mask Group. Uh, it's the world's second largest container carrier. They recorded an annual profit in 2021 that was at least the same or slightly surpassed the combined results of the previous nine years. So one annual profit in 2021 matching or better than the combined last nine years um, shares in that company. I had, a, I had a look up. I think they're traded on the Copenhagen exchange, but they're um, just up over 300% since the beginning of the pandemic. Another interesting factor, which I've been reading a little bit more about and has come across quite convincing is the role of monopolies in certain industries. And specifically, so I mentioned before, beef prices in the US rising and I've been reading and listening to a lot of 
um, articles and, and discussions that about so in in the US basically there's four major meatpacking companies that control eighty somewhere in the eighties percent of the entire meatpacking industry. And whilst prices have certainly gone up uh, for meat, it's basically what's happening is that that's not being felt at the farming level. So the farmers themselves are not, say, reaping the benefit of uh, beef being up 20% on an annualized basis, um, but it is being benefited from those uh, four companies that make up pretty much the majority of the market. And the farmers themselves talk about how because there's only four of these major companies that pretty much make up the market, they don't really have much option but to sell to these guys and they and these guys will squeeze them for everything that they can. And so that actual you know, increase in revenue uh, because of the inflated price of the beef, it's not actually going to the farmer itself, it's actually going to the middleman company, the actual meat packing company. In fact, this specific issue on beef in the meatpacking industry uh, gained so much attention that it even attracted uh, bipartisan support for government to, or the White House to step in with aid uh, directed more at independent uh, meatpacking conglomerates to effectively combat the major uh, four companies that make up most of the market and try to make it a little bit easier on so actual cattle ranchers. Not sure if that's working yet, but what's been interesting is the fact that on both sides of the aisle, there's been this call for stepping in to do something given that what seems to be demonstrated to be happening is that the consumer is getting screwed on one end from when they're buying at the supermarket because of the rise in prices, but the ranchers and you know the cattle farms, the farmers themselves aren't actually uh, getting receiving any benefit on their end either. Now, as we move into 2022, this topic of inflation is going to continue to be you know, at the top of the list. Um, I don't just mean in, in general news that affects everyone because, of course, it affects everyone, but also from an investing point of view because the, the way uh, inflation can impact on central bank interest rates and the way that that can then filter down and impact markets. And what we're seeing at the moment with these market pullbacks uh, at the start of the year, like I mentioned, how the markets pretty much, you know, in Australia and the US are down for the year. A lot of that is due to the fact that there's just more and more increased belief that central banks are going to have to curb uh, this inflation that we're seeing by lifting interest rates. So unfortunately, for those of you who are a little bit bored of the inflation topic, you're likely to continue to keep hearing it. And unfortunately, it's going to be something that I'm going to keep talking about too, just because it just seems to be you know, such an important driving factor, both for us personally, um, but also um, from an investing point of view. But that has been The Great Resignation and a little bit on inflation. And this has been episode 65 of the Market Pulse podcast. Thank you for coming back. Uh, I appreciate you listening and not being too mad about a three-month break. Maybe you were mad, I don't know. Um, but like I said at the top of the show, if you weren't paying attention, I'm going to sort of remove the little description being this is a specific weekly or, or a bi-weekly thing. Um, this is going to be something that comes out when there's interesting things to talk about. Sometimes there's not interesting things to talk about, but especially those really captivating issues uh, that are driving the news and, and markets at the moment. They're the really things that are 
that interests me and I hope they interest you as well. But you can still ask questions or submit questions, especially even if they're more just ideas, if there's things you want me to talk about, uh, you can send them through the Market Pulse podcast at gmail.com. But thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Dion. You've been listening to the Market Pulse podcast. Cheers.